Hey there, and welcome. We're going to start off as we always do and thank everybody out there for checking out this episode of Those People, a podcast about people with people. As usual, I'm your host, Mitch Gaines. You can find me at Mitch Gaines just about anywhere on the internet that I want to be found. If this is your first time checking out the show, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so happy to have you here. Those People is a show, as I said, with people, about people, where we explore all the labels that others give us and we give ourselves. Every episode, we sit down with a different guest and we interview them about their stories, their successes, their struggles, all the important S words, really. But most importantly, we kick it with them about the people who are involved. So if you love it, we'd love you to go and go tell a friend. If you hate it, we hate you, and please kindly shut the fuck up forever. I'm just kidding about that last part, but if you do hate the show for real, please shoot me a note at mitchgains at gmail.com. Tell me what you hated. We'll try and do a little bit better next time. Or maybe we won't. I don't really know. As always, I also want to take a quick second to remind all of you who do love the show or just some of the people we've had on the show to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It really helps other people discover the show. Platforms we are currently available on include Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Pocket Cast, my personal favorite, Radio Public, and a whole bunch more. If you happen to be a Google or an Apple listener and you really like the show, it'd mean a lot to us if you could rate and review the podcast, but again, only if you like the show. You can save the hate takes for Twitter, where again, you can find me at Mitch Gaines, that's Gaines with a Y because I'm a little bit gay, G-A-Y-N-S. I'm joined on those people today by Jackie Camel. She's a longtime friend of mine and a longtime friend of the show. Uh, originally, she was actually scheduled to appear on episode 37 of my previous podcast, Late to Work, which if any of you followed me uh, from the work back then, you know was cut short after 35 episodes, and we never got a chance to put that up. Uh, she is a multidisciplinary professional creative, uh, most notably a pop musician and a singer-songwriter currently based out of Brooklyn, New York. Her debut EP, the JK EP, came out last year uh, and is available on Apple Music, Spotify, and a couple other places. Uh, she's currently in the studio putting the final touches on her upcoming album. So we caught up to chat about millennialism, trying to make it in New York City, and how she spent most of her life bouncing all over the country, figuring out how to inspire her creative works. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Hey, thanks for having me. I am uh, I am delighted you're here. So we start off every episode uh, with the same two questions. Uh, the first and foremost, uh, I kind of alluded to off air here, is that we ask everybody for a conversational safe word. So the way that works, much like a sexual safe word, you say this word anytime you get uncomfortable, I'm doing anything weird, we need to stop doing, talking, whatever we're doing about. In the case you have to use that a lot of times, then we might need to just cut this short and try this again some other time. What is your conversational safe word? Actually, I think I'm just going to stick with my sexual safe word so I can just remember it and that's okay. celery because at celery. no point in my life am I going to ever want to friggin' mention celery. So I, I've probably so. mentioned this every episode as I ask people this, but you're a friend, so I feel comfortable asking this. Why is everybody's sexual safe word food related? So I've had like three or four guests go pineapple. I've had peanut butter. I've had, I think, pizza on one of the ones. I don't know if we're airing that. So if you, you think that didn't catch that one, that's not out there. But like everybody seems to have a, a food related one. I don't know why. Well, well, I can't speak for everyone. I will say I am not one of the, I'm very open-minded. I do a lot of things, but I'm not one to involve food in the bedroom in any capacity because they're both my loves and I never want to mix them up in case I end up like George Costanza where like I have to associate one with the other. But anyway, it's a huge fear. Also, I don't like to get sticky, but I mentioned celery because I think food is something when you ask someone about something they hate, I think it's a very easy first answer to go to your least favorite food. Everyone off the ball, like, what is your least favorite food of all time? Go. Uh, 
really don't know. Honestly. Jesus, Mitch, you're so. Oh no, I just I love food. I'm a fat kid. There's not do. a lot of food I, I don't. I can I can tell you like my three least favorite foods off the bat. But I will say like celery. I've always hated celery. I would never talk liver, about celery. Liver, beef liver. It's yeah, exactly. So like like you want to stick with something you universally just would never talk about, and and that's at least for me. I don't know why people say. Maybe because it's easy. I don't know. That's fair. No, I, I think I think your hypothesis is pretty solid. It's it's one of those things like you want it to be something that is you don't directly not it. associated with sex. And yeah. I feel like food is associated with what comes before sex, not during sex. Right. You're like, no, like take me out to eat first. And then like once we get to the sexy part, like let's cut out the food. Yeah. And I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to be like, oh, what was that? Oh, Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Like I, if, if, <laughs> if I have to use a safe word, chances are it needs to be used very immediately. That's fair. I'm probably going to die. Celery it is then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, the second question I ask everybody, kind of starting off here, uh, is a little more, I guess, uh, important and professional. And we'll start the actual show. Uh, where are you from? Uh, so I've known you for a while, and uh, where are you from has kind of always been a difficult question. Exactly. It's <laughs> weird. Yeah, it's weird to think about that. Some people can just answer that, and like, it, I guess it depends on where I am. Like okay. when I'm at home in Brooklyn, and people ask where I'm from. I would say Boston. I would say Boston, because if you're from Eastern Massachusetts and you're not in Massachusetts, you just say Boston, and Western Mass is always just Western Mass. And um, <laughs> but when I'm in Massachusetts and a stranger asks where I'm from, I just say you know Brooklyn because that's where I live. If someone in Manhattan asks where I'm from, I'm from Brooklyn because that's really what they're asking. But um, yeah, but if people want my life story and they're actually interested and they're like, oh, where where did you grow up? Like, where are you from? I always have to say, well. I was born in Massachusetts. I was raised in the South, and then I came back to Massachusetts. I'm not really from, like, I didn't bounce around the whole country, but it was a lot of North, South, North, South. I was basically, like, an indecisive Civil War person. Like, that's what it was. I have to admit, as somebody also from the Northeast, like, that to me, like, up until, I don't know, like, 20 is the entire country. Like, there there is no America west of the Mississippi. You know what I mean? There's the North and the South, and then there's a whole bunch of, like, frontier land (laughs) to be explored some other time in my life. Uh... So where, where were you down south? You were in Georgia or Carolina? Where so were when I was young, like my formative years were Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a very, very big urban. It's Everyone's heard of it. It's not Charlotte. It's not Raleigh. It's Greensboro. So it's... It's that other one that everybody's heard it's of? It's that other one because Charlotte's the really urban part. Raleigh's the capital. Greensboro's, it's just a very large rural, not rural, but suburban and urban sort of area. And I, I lived there throughout the entire 90s, so... And so you were living there throughout the 90s, uh, and then when do you end up moving back up to Massachusetts? Uh, The turn of the millennium. Okay, cool. Uh, And so I guess what's the the reason I ask kind of everybody where they're from and start there uh, is I... I think it's difficult to kind of have a perspective on what youth is like other places in the country. I mentioned like growing up here, like I, I don't even look at the other half of the country until I'm like an adult, right? But as a fully formed adult, like I have friends all over the country. I got a bunch of friends on the West Coast. I, I consider myself a fairly West Coast kind of <laughs> style of person. Uh, and so like you have a, some understanding of what, you know, shapes people's identities and how people live other places in the country in adulthood, but not necessarily in youth. So what is like, what is childhood like in the South? Especially as like a white person, because the only people I've talked to about this are black people. The only black person I actually remember from my childhood like up here like another child was adopted into a white family in my neighborhood Mm -hmm. I didn't have any there weren't any black people at my school I didn't go to public school I went to a catholic school um, when Went to I was a Catholic in school south, in the South? In the South, because huh. my parents are both Bostonians, so when we moved down South, 
North Carolina at the time is 47th in education. And coming from Massachusetts, which is pretty much number one all the time, they're like, absolutely not. Like, she's going to a Catholic school, like, period. Because that they weren't going to send me to North Carolina schools. And then when we came up to Massachusetts, I was allowed to go to public school because... We're back in. It wasn't about the religion. It was about the the education. Are your are your parents religious, or are they just busted? My you? father is. Okay. My father is. And my, so, my mom what was I, I guess I I had a very weird kind of religious upbringing where I was like I, I'm I'm aware of religion. I went to church for me. My mom had like a nine month stint there where we went to church every week, and that was about it. Um, so like I had a little bit of Baptist, a little bit of UU stuff. I you know went to temple with a few of my Jewish friends once in a while, but I don't really have much of a concept of like how that impact your childhood. Is that like a big part of kind of who you? were when you were younger are you going to like Sunday school are you singing in the choir like I did sing in the choir my mom sang in the choir we had to be a part of the church in order to go to attend the school so I went to church so like if you if you have like five tardies from church on Sunday you can't come to class like my family yeah like if I didn't go I think that was one thing but like one of us had to show up and I was always there so I went to church with my dad gonna make sure somebody put something in a collection plate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I also went to church in the middle of the week as a part of class Okay. Uh, so and uh, I didn't. There was no Sunday school because I already had regular school Sunday school during school. Fair. Uh, and is that kind of is that schooling kind of like your introduction to music then, like that choir experience and all of that? Is that is that where you first no, kind of pick up singing? No. Uh, okay. My introduction to music was absolutely my parents. Okay. My parents. Um. My. You know. It. That's. It's a whole other thing too because like in the '90s, so I only listened to what my parents listened to. They Natural. didn't really listen. <laughs> you don't have much choice when you're a kid. They didn't really, exa- like, you don't think about it, but it's true. So uh, when, like, I didn't listen to, I didn't like rap or hip hop for the longest time. The Like, even when we moved up to Massachusetts and my neighbors would listen to it, I would hate it because my parents hated it, mm. you know? And I didn't really listen to pop until, like, Britney Spears sort of came out. And so, like, and, and it was inescapable. But before yeah, that, say, it that was, was all, hard to ignore. it was all, like, classic rock, regular rock, like, or like eighties rock, like good eighties, like Prince okay. type stuff. Not so we're dumb. doing, we're doing like Zeppelin and things yeah, of that nature. And then the flip Zeppelin. side of that, like the pop side is like the pop elite, like the, the Michaels and the princes. And yeah. And like my mom, yeah, my mom was really big into like REM Nirvana. So she was modern times, but she was like alt, like rock, like grunge. My dad was really like Beatles, you know, monkeys, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin, things like that. And, and so I also, because I went to Catholic school, I was car, I, I drove in a car to, to school every day. So mm. there was that whole like 45 minutes from one end of Greensboro to the other of listening to music. And, 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 music. and nothing but your parents' music, right? It's not like mm. you're having that experience of like being on the school bus with other kids and like yeah. sharing headphones exactly. and being like, oh, But I didn't oh, like, hate it. But yeah. I didn't hate their music at all. And my dad taught himself guitar. Mm. So he made it a mission to like at least teach me the keyboard note, the notes on a keyboard or that, you know, how to play guitar, but he was a lefty. So I learned lefty guitar at first, <laughs> which is no. Wait, like, so can you play with both hands? No, because I couldn't commit to the guitar when I was younger because it hurt my fingers so much, and obviously I'm not going to do something. I couldn't really commit to the piano either. I learned the the notes, and that was it. And then I put that in my memory bank. But you were always singing first. Always. There is a recording my dad has of me singing verbatim, I've just seen a face by the Beatles in the shower when I was five years old. Like, I was always singing and always wanted to perform. I dress up like Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. I pretend I was in the Wizard of Oz all the time. I was an only child. I was so like, say, so it, it's it, a huge, yeah, yeah you, when all else fails, you must entertain yourself. 
it's uh, it's funny you say that because I am not an only child. I'm young. I'm the youngest of two. Um, the biggest criticism my mother had of me as a child is you need to learn how to entertain yourself because I would just follow around my brother and like follow around my parents and yap 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 yap. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can I come? Can I play? Uh, and they're just like, will you figure out like how to entertain yourself? And clearly, I never did. Like I started a podcast and I just go talk to other people now for a living. Uh, but I, like, I was so lucky because I went to a good Catholic school with with people that I I was really like well liked there, and so that worked out. And then I lived across the street from a whole family where they were kids my age and we would play in the neighborhood and when they were and they were homeschooled so they were almost always around and when they weren't around it was like my mom was always there because she was a whole uh she was she quit her x-ray tech career to like stay home and be with me while my dad worked so like we would hang out and it would be like I'd ride my bicycle next to her riding her motorcycle and we would just like I, w- I was always entertained and always and so it sounds like Childhood in the South is quite pleasant. Like oh it was very it picturesque. Was, we're riding bikes perfect. up and down the street. We're singing in the shower. We're going to a beautiful school. It was. I am so lucky and so blessed. I had a, a, and my mother was the type of person. She has a lot of anxiety that she passed down to me. But essentially, it was like she wanted to teach me as much as she could for like the first ten years of my life because she knew that's when like kids listen to their parents when they're younger. But so she would. It wasn't just like how to open a jar. It was like. It was like, you know, how to avoid a midlife crisis or like what those even are or like how you had to follow your dreams or you'll die inside or like just like all the things, like all the big life things she'd like scare me into remembering. Like, so at nine years old, you're like, I, I can't get strapped to some shitty young exactly. old man if he's stuck I, at 34. Yup. And that's <laughs> ask me why I don't I haven't had a meaningful relationship like after like a year and a half, like a monogamous committed relationship I it's it's so hard for me to do because of it's ingrained but I did I did truly have just an ideal wonderful childhood and a huge difference between the south and the north and that and it's probably the biggest one is in the south people aren't really very aggressive like I know we have this opinion that everyone in the south you know they've got guns and they want to sh- and like that maybe everybody so. can have guns because nobody <laughs> is confronting each other but I w- <laughs> but I will say like no one was I didn't experience any, like, bullies or, like, uh, just aggression or impatience or intolerance or, you know what I mean? And, of course, I had a different childhood than everybody else. I'm not saying that's them, the yeah. whole self. But all I remember is when I moved up to Massachusetts, I continued Catholic school to at least finish out the year I was in. Um, and it was, it was horrible because... I had bullies and I had people come up and, and verbally attack me and, and I'd think of a good insult, but I'd be like, no, that's too rude to say. <laughs> and then they'd come out with it and I'd be like, damn it, why didn't I say that? So I was like, after that, I was like, I'm never going to be that dumb Southern girl like again, which, so I pumped up the aggression tenfold. So th- this is what I was curious about is because, so th- this first, uh, how, uh, I, you move up here at what grade? High school you said? No, like, like, grade, like grade school. Grade like, school, okay. Like school. Uh, and so, like, you have this picturesque, like, first, like, 10, 11 years. It's uh, this beautiful, like, postcard of American life. Uh, and then you move up here, and it's like, oh, hey, like, we're massholes. We will bully yeah. you. You go to public school now. Fuck you and all your little, like, religious schoolgirl so shit. Like, we smoke cigarettes in the hallway. Not <laughs> like, to mention, whenever I move, I gain excessive amounts of weight because at that time like chick-fil-a had just come out um <laughs> we were selling our house so my my mom didn't cook because we had houses all the time work. yeah and so exactly so like 
I was eating out all the time. So I went from a really healthy little kid to like, I weighed like 110 pounds in like the third grade. Jeez. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And like, I wasn't the fattest, I was never the fattest person, but I was, and then as soon, of course, as I gained weight, I, we, when we moved up to Massachusetts, we moved into my grandparents' house and my family is, I come from a very vain sort of weight obsessed, image obsessed family. So I had like my old grandparents being like, Oh, she got, real chubby all of a sudden and then my parents were like oh what happened and now like I hate myself and I'm getting bullied and I'm like which I I should know is like bizarre because I I feel like 85% of people if you move in with your grandparents you're just gonna get fatter like your your grandma's just gonna feed you and feed you uh, but that's what the Lebanese are like it's constant you you know you've yeah you've gained some weight what can I get for you why can't I make you something do you want some some and I'm like are you are you joking (laughs) <laughs> All right. Uh, so that begs the question: Like, why? Why did you guys move up here? Like, what? Because it sounds like everything was like swelled and everything Carolina, was and then everything kind of started to everything suck when we got swell. up here. My so. my dad says it's because my mom says it's because my dad got homesick. Keep in mind, my parents again are from Massachusetts. Okay. I was okay. born so, in so, so. Norwood. Yep, gotcha, and gotcha. so was my mom. My dad grew up in West Roxbury. Hmm. My whole family is New England, one hundred percent all Massachusetts. So we were the odd ones out. So I grew up away from all my cousins, away from everybody. And so when I went up there, when so my mom says my dad got homesick. My dad says he was going to lose his job anyway. He worked for Ralph Lauren in the distribution aspect, and everything was going south or whatever. And so he was, yeah, he's like, I want to, I want to get ahead of it. And then it, we also a lot of change happened in that like six months span of time because when we moved up to Massachusetts, he got a new job. And after like a year, he got a job as like a vice president of some big logistics company, which meant he had to travel five days a week and he was only home on the weekends. But we were loaded like we were making so he was making so much money and both of my mom's parents died Mm. at that time. So and then she got she sunk into like a really like opiate fueled uh, kind of listless almost like that that vegetative like i'm i'm so out of it like i'm i'm here but i'm just like i basically say that like i grew up like the kid from jane Eyre, but without jane Eyre, (laughs) and like that's that's why the first 10 years of my life were so important to me because basically i raised myself Hmm. once we got up there because my mom was just like there like (laughs) like in bad santa like the grandmother was there so the kid could technically live in the house you didn't have to call you know child protective services or anything but um and then uh, my dad was home on the weekends so So it's like your your dad's gone monday through friday your mom's like half the half out your grandma's you know your grandma she's you know old she has no idea what you're you're getting into i we we moved from my grandparents we moved into my grandparents house as like a squatter like to look for a new house and then we moved it so my grandparents lived on their own so it was really just the three of us but my mom like again like she'd adopt pets without telling us and then we'd have to like give the pets away like it was a lot of just kind of navigating it and and, and so what is like like you said you kind of raised yourself but yeah. that's also like the, the ears you're raising yourself are not like oh like i, I figured some things out All between like 18 and 30 like, yeah yeah like you're like uh, going through puberty figuring yep. out your body figuring Absolutely. out like social norms no figuring idea. out your yeah. school like all these things yeah like I thought I sh- I thought I shit myself when I got my period. Like I had no idea. Like I was like, what the, f- what is? This? I mean, it doesn't look like, but it's. Yeah. St- I was like, what the. F- what is happening? Oh my god! And like, um, yeah, it was it was 
it was kind of crazy, but there was that Southern sort of innocence to it too. Like my, my neighbors, my, my childhood neighbor used my Barbie dolls to teach me about sex. And I couldn't sleep at night because I felt so guilty knowing about it. Cause I was like, if my parents didn't tell me about this then they shouldn't know about it. And I, I still was very, I didn't swear. I refused to swear. I, I never broke the rules when I wasn't around them. So when, when did that start changing? Like when, cause like the, the Jackie Gemmel I know and oh, like I me later in life is like, you swear up a storm, you're a fairly rebellious person in general. Like you're like, but most of your personality is like almost centered around the idea of being anti whatever the expectation is. But it sounds like, you know, the first like 14 <laughs> years of your life are like, I'm just going to follow every expectation Absolutely possible. Everyone, so when, yeah. when does that flip? Um, well, uh, I definitely started swearing uh, when I was about 15, 16 years old. I got my license as soon as I could because driving was always my thing. Um, I put myself, I showed up at school every day. Uh, no one like forced me, but I, I mean, I showed up at school every day and I did that. And again, I really attribute the first 10 years of my life to why I survived the following 10. Um, or I'd probably still live in Massachusetts. I'd probably be addicted to drugs. I'd probably, like, I, I shit you not. That's absolutely what would happen. So I guess the Jackie Campbell you know you met in college. So that was after I, like, didn't have really a home to live in anymore. Um, where there were no, I guess there was no loyalty. There, were, there was, at, at the point where you met me, there's no loyalty to the people who enforce the rules. And so because of the lack of loyalty. It was also that, and growing up on your own, you kind of tend to do only what you want to do, which has really spoiled me because if no one is there to force me to go outside and exercise, I'm going to sit on live journal all day. <laughs> like I'm going to do that, you know? So, and so and I, didn't have to. I guess one of the things I'm curious about is like, you have this like almost like a parental home, right? Uh, and you're also an only child. Like who, who are you surrounding yourself with? Like, who are you hanging out with who's kind of informing those decisions? Because like you said, like, you only do what you want to do, but also, like, one of the things I have found spending a lot of time alone is, like, you only know how much, like, you only know, like, eight things you want to do. Like, most of the things you as a human, like anyone, like any individual human, like, most of the things you like to do, you like to do with other people or because of other oh, people. Oh, yeah. So, I had a great neighborhood. I had neighborhood kids yeah. with good parents, <laughs> so I'd run around with them. But I also... Being an only child mm. and learning to fend for yourself and yada yada, my whole life I've just been very good at making friends because that is my survival. That's everything for me. So I, that's why I take a lot of pride in, my, in who my friends are and who my best friends are because th that's my family. And my, my best friend, Danielle, her, her parents put me back into CCD. Her parents saw the situation I was in and... They threw me, like, graduation parties. They threw me little birthday parties. They took me in, and, and that you, was you my sibling. The extra sister. And, those, and, and let me, you can ask Danielle. Her parents are the strictest friggin' parents. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Maybe God. not having parents isn't so bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, like, I also had friends who would, like, my friend Lauren, like, if I didn't, if I didn't, like, check in at a certain time, she'd be like, where the hell, what? And she would scream at me, and I would... <laughs> be more afraid of that than anything else you know what I mean so plus I, I wanted to keep getting away with everything so I wanted to maintain a low profile because if you do one dumb thing everyone's going to be on everybody's you. looking exactly yeah. like, so I'm, I'm curious about that then because it's like okay so what are you what are you trying to pull off and get away with because it sounds like you're lucky in that like 
you have the setup to go get into all sorts of trouble and fall know, into the right? exact and wrong I crowd wish, and you just and met like looking, a bunch of churchgoers. Yeah, looking back, I regret that I didn't do more. I could have <laughs> skimmed off the top on my mom's drugs and put myself through school. I got, like, I, that's probably, on, honest to God, my largest regret in life. Well, yeah, that, that was also back in like an era where like Oxy's Oxy, were like Oh, yeah, 100. And she was... She was um, the 80s. There was also like the, fet, um, the fentanyl. Oh, the, the fentanyl lollipops and all that? There was like the pa- the patches. Oh, yeah. Like, this was before it became a big thing. Like, I could have, I could have been spearheaded. I could have a dynasty right now. People, like, <laughs> I think it's, it's really weird, like, watching the opioid crisis just now become, like, a sensation. Because, like, especially up here in, in New England, there's been, like, this pipeline between, uh, there's a documentary on it maybe, like, five, six years ago about the pipeline between Florida's, pharm- like, pharmaceutical, uh, complex i guess you would call it and people running drugs up to massachusetts and this was like a known thing they made like parody movies and like movies for entertainment about this like 10 12 years ago and it's like everyone i knew who sold drugs like i you know i just smoked pot so i you know i'd go to pick up pot from my pot dealer's house and there would just be like bags of oxy everywhere and it was just like commonplace and i was just like yo does nobody understand that this is like problematic like you you gotta have and the pharmacy <laughs> would let me pick it up for her like yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. anyone could get it. Like and you could just walk in and be like, Hey man, like my finger hurts. Uh, I have this note scribbled on a piece of notebook. But paper. I wouldn't have known who to sell it to. I wasn't, I was and, afraid. And that's what I mean. So you, you like are very lucky that you just like fell into the right crowd instead of the wrong one. Yeah, I was, I was very lucky about that. Um, I stayed away from, I could just, t- I just wasn't attracted to those types of people. Just the types of people who just seemed like they were waiting to be old enough to drop out. Like <laughs> yeah. I, cause that's I've a good al- way to describe I've that always, person. yeah, I've, I have nothing to say about dropouts to say they're unsuccessful. I know a few and they are, they're, they make more money than I do. So <laughs> I keep my mouth shut, but I didn't want that to be my life. I didn't. And again, my parents raised me to want so much for myself. So like at that time I thought it had to be obviously through school, but I also just wanted to clarify, like my mom wasn't like some just like drug addict person. Like the reason that all of that happened was because just so much depression and, and just like she went from the happiest place ever to the worst, to being an orphan to her husband, pretty much leaving like with this job and and she had issues that her doctor was a kickback doctor like became like now doesn't have a license anymore like because someone because somebody from purdue was sending them checks for 100 grand every month yeah let me find out where you are let me find out where you are like i i can't i would love to run into this woman in real life i break her knees so fucking fast and you don't even have to cut that out i absolutely would that's a threat um but anyway, <laughs> no, like Those this, what this woman, there was threats of violence. <laughs> this woman, <laughs> I do have a lot of deep seated anger. This woman, uh, prescribed all these things to her. So we were under the impression that she was doing what she was supposed to do. Right, and that's like what she was. Orders, too. But like, it just, it became, and like, I won't get it. I'm, I'm not going to get into it here and now, but like, I lived a really, it was really messed up. I, I honestly, I guess that's, part of me I just I feel so duplicitous sometimes because a part of me came from a really idyllic like beautiful like perfect scenario but also like I feel like I know what it's like almost to grow up 
in like a sort of a crack house sort of situation. Like it's, well, it's and in a lot of ways, I think it's like, it's representative of a lot of that generation of American story, which is that like we were, we had all of the right resources. We had all the things in place. Every, like we did all the things people told us to do. Like we got the degrees, we got the good jobs. Well, we, yeah. we traveled and we made money. Like we followed the doctor's orders and what did it get us? Uh, a bunch of debt and like a bunch of addictions and a bunch of dead people. And then we're like, Oh fuck man. Like you all told us that like, this was the way, right? Like, <laughs> so why am I listening to you now? The ones of you who are still alive. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I think that comes through in your art quite a bit where it's like, it's this kind of like strained tension and like, feel free to correct me if you feel misrepresenting it here. But like, I feel like your music is very often this like strained tension between something very beautiful and very idyllic and very, uh, almost like Rockwell esque about like, americana and like this very like un like dark undercurrent of like you'd only know it if you went there and like trying to like make sense of being in between them uh as somebody who like lives that life uh <laughs> yeah. I, I i very much like enjoy that uh but i also uh i i'm curious kind of like how this era of your life is informing your music like are you making music at this age like, you oh know, yeah I, okay so what i is make music Constantly, constantly. Okay. So that that is like the coping mechanism for the hey, what happened to my picturesque life, and, and what is good with this crack dungeon? Yeah, and I didn't have it then. I actually taught myself like I taught myself instruments. Uh, I had to like mm. no, one, you know. So I taught myself. You play um, like band or anything in school? Hmm? You uh, I played flute in like oh. the fifth grade, but like okay. uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> not the flautist <laughs> out there. But like. No. Um, but yeah, uh, I taught myself piano when I was like 17, 18 years old. Um, and then I taught myself guitar when I was like 20, 21. And uh, I always actually thought, I was always writing poetry and writing, like I was published when I was six. Like I, I was always, yeah, I was always like really good at, at like writing poetry and things like that. And everyone was like, oh, you should write songs. And I was like, that's stupid. I think <laughs> writing songs sounds stupid. I'm an stupid. artist. I'm a poet. And it wasn't, it, but it wasn't like that. It was, I just couldn't figure it out because I felt like it was cheesy to put a poem to music. Because mm. you read a poem a certain way. Right. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a writer. I'd call myself a performer and an entertainer. I'm not writing things to just write them. Right. I'm not writing poetry so it's I'm, there. I'm, I'm not writing something to read. I'm writing something yeah. for people to view the performance of. The only poetry I've ever written, you can either read almost like a ballad, like a like it rhymes, Inverse, like it has a rhyme yeah. scheme, or like a spoken word, mm. but performative spoken word. Mm. Not just like prose that you just recite. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, But I didn't start writing songs until I could play music and write my own music. And that started in college. And I only wrote a couple of songs, but where I went to college in Salem, there was just this huge downtown music scene, and I wanted to be a part of it because I liked the people downtown more, I think, than the people that I attended school with, at least in the beginning. Um, I had a huge falling out, and I kind of needed some friends, and, and then I went downtown, and they heard one song, and they were like, why don't you have more? These, this is so good. So Write another one. Out of curiosity, like how how did you arrive at the idea of like go, deciding to a stay in state and go anywhere in Massachusetts, but also specifically like going to school in Salem? Because like it sounds like the the end of your high school career, you're like all right, I figured out like music or at least performance of some sort is sort of what I want to do. I wanted to act. Okay. And I was always like the lead in the school plays. Like that's what I really okay. wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do my whole life was act. Interesting. The reason okay. I put music first was once I taught myself how to play music and also I think age 
I think you can get into acting at any age. I feel like music sort of has a window. Mm. And so I wanted to do music first. And um, the reason I went to Salem, honest to God, I just applied at like nine schools, got into pretty much all of them. And I accidentally, I didn't know this, I did so well on the friggin' MCAS mm. That I that's got a, a master's. It's that's like our state standardized assessment. test. Yeah. yeah, I did so well on it that I got an automatic scholarship to go to any state school for free. So my dad forced me to go to state school, and it was one of the only two places I applied, and it had a, the best theater program. That makes sense. And then after a semester, I dropped the theater major completely and just focused on writing because I can't stand theater people. Sorry, not sorry, but what's your beef with theater? Do you still? I mean, it sounds like you still want to act eventually, but yeah, you, I I don't. You, you like know. film people, not theater people. <laughs> It, no, I'm not going to say one is better than the other. They're different. And I've worked in film long and both long enough to know the difference. But the point is, is I don't mind actors. We're all on the same sort of page, you know, like struggle, like hustle, whatever, respect. It's all the biz. But when you're in college, like you're already trying to figure out where, like I've spent so much of my time trying to figure out who I am in relation to everything around me. All theater people want to talk about is... Why didn't, why didn't I get the part? Why didn't I, well, who's going to get the part? It's just like this really competitive, nasty, almost two-faced, and it's all kind of incestual in a way as well. And, and it's... Because no matter where you are, outside from maybe LA or New York, it's like the same couple of hundred people going up for all the same roles and all the same places. Yeah, like, and like... You learn to hate each other. It's and I of, understand why people yeah. get cast as things. Like, you just have to have the ability to go, oh, well, you just weren't the right fit, like, get over it that and like i i love musicals i love the concept of musicals i would love to write musicals but i you i am not that asshole that's in the corner of the restaurant with all her friends singing like rent i'm not i won't be i can't so as no. somebody who's been that asshole waiting on that table many many times thank mm-hmm. you i appreciate you're you. welcome i really i try to try not to be as i try to be as polite as possible to strangers so it, so we go off to college, you kind of discover that theater is probably not going to be your jam. You mentioned you kind of have this big falling out, and that's how you stumble into, like, well, maybe music is kind of the, the future. And like you said, like, I have a shorter window here. I'm pretty damn good at this. I enjoy what I'm doing, and that's kind of, you know, this is where this starts off. What are those, I, I guess, first couple months? Because like you said, you know, first few times playing out, everybody loves you. This is great, cool, like, warm receptions everywhere. Boy, this is easy. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, <laughs> super. And honestly, I have to say I'm very spoiled with reception I've never had an instant the only like time I think I've ever done that is like uh when I couldn't hear out of one ear I was having hearing problems and I was so off pitch and I was like no I've never been off pitch I'm gonna do this anyway and when you can't hear out of one ear you do not have pitch so I went on stage and I was like and I was like I had to get off after one song because I wasn't gonna be that person so I've had I've had less than stellar performances but I've never had anyone go oh, this could be better, that could be better. You know, like, it's always been... So I know that I'm doing the right thing because I know that whenever I go into a room and I play, people shut up and they listen, and that's huge to me. So, um, so yeah, it, the first few months were, oh, well, people like my sound, so I'm just going to give them what they want to hear. And so that was basically getting better at instruments. I didn't want to do the, what everyone else does. I didn't want to do the same four chords. I didn't want to do, like... The you, same you don't want to pick up a ukulele and record an EP. Right. And I did I did learn ukulele because I like the sound of it. But yeah, it, exactly. of course you did. Well, yeah, it's fun. Fucking hipster. You could carry a ukulele around and sing. It's practical. I get it. Yeah. Like, I, I get all the reasons people play yeah. a ukulele. But like, but I've never like, I wouldn't, I'm not 
I don't go up on stage and whip out a ukulele. I never have, I never will. I've lived in Brooklyn long enough to know that that's the worst thing you could do. It's more about just making unique music, and this is how I just got better at, at, at instruments. And my first few songs were super honest because that's all I knew how to write, right? So, But now I'm like, oh, I'm doing this for people. So I just wrote things that sounded good. And... That's kind of what I did, and I had, like, you know, I moved down to Georgia briefly with my dad when I was finally, like, the house was pretty much, like, condemned, and, like, my mom just had to go off to, like, a like deep, like a situation, like, to make herself better, which she is now, totally, and we have a, a super healthy relationship, and, like, we didn't for a very long time because of everything, but we do now, so everything's good in, in that sense, but, like, I didn't have, I still wouldn't have anywhere to live mm. if I couldn't support myself, so... Um, so yeah, so I moved down to Georgia for a while. I cut a little EP with a, with like Elton John's producer. I met at like with my friend, we were at like the guitar center and we, we met him. And, and so we did like a little like acoustic EP and came back to Salem, like feeling like a big shot. (laughs) I made the choice not to stay down there, even though my friend like begged me to, he's like, we could really start a career. And I was like, but school. And my dad really pressured me to go back to school. He really, my dad was always my mom, like, forced me to follow my dreams, but my dad was like, your dream is too lofty, you need to be logical. So, again, like, I have a very dual upbringing. Like, north, south, ideal, not ideal, a pragmatist as a parent, a dreamer as a parent. You know what I mean? So, it's, so, so yeah, so it, it was a lot like that. And then when I moved to New York, I met an A&R guy after, like, a year or so, and he took a listen to some of my songs and he was like, you need to write and more how, honest how long things. was, uh, I guess that window. So you start, you start playing in college. That's like, you know, freshman, sophomore year of college from there through Georgia, through moving to New York. That's what, like four or five years for you. Mm, like a, mm, Three, four? Yeah, yeah. 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 Like a small, yeah. All right. And so years. what, what is your, what is your sound kind of like evolving into from like, Hey, this is just like raw coffee shop girl, like singing her heart out to like, Hey, now I just write songs that I think other people will like the sound of to like, what is, what is, your music kind of sound like when you decide to make the leap to New York like hey like this is gonna be my primary focus like this is all I'm doing I mean I didn't write music for a few years when I moved to New York because Mm. as I said whenever I move I gain weight so I gained like 80 friggin pounds so Mm. like I yeah it was really really bad I didn't do anything but then eventually it's it sounded very similar it sounded very similar to the way there really was not a lot of evolution the only evolution maybe have been that the music was a little more complex or a little better but but everything else was pretty much the same again I still had that sort of indie indie rock was like my number one thing when I was in high school like I knew pop music but working in retail working at Victoria's Secret as long as I did is what got me back into pop music because I had to listen to it every day on the radio. But I other before that it was all like Def Cat for Cutie, Bright Eyes, like Rilo <laughs> Kylie, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what I'm listening to. Which so, is weird because now ten years later, like looking back on that era, like young kids would describe that as popular music. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because you look back on it, it's like, well, what did all the people from that generation like say was good, right? It's it's not what sold records. It's like what did people remember being good? And like they're like, oh, Death Cab for Cutie is like a legendary act to somebody who like wasn't there for that era. That's weird. But they don't understand that. I was like, you went with like fifty people to like a basement club to go see Death Cab for Cutie for like a long time. Oh yeah, I still see Death Cab every time. So I just saw them in Forest Hills. I refuse to see them at Madison Square Garden because for that reason they they play the fucking garden now, right? 
believe that they got the garden. Yeah. And now Vampire Weekend's playing the garden. I'm like, why are all my favorite? Like, what is going on? And it's like, yo, I, I, yo you, had to, you went to some sketchy little bar and got two X's on your hands because you were underage and, like, hoped nobody gave you shit for it and, like, tried to mosh. You know what I mean? And, it like, now me. that's... Yeah. Madison Square fucking garden. It was weird. And so, um, but I never really had stage fright, you know? And so like I played, I think the really the biggest thing was when I moved to New York, I started working at the bitter end, which was really legendary. And, but like as a waitress, like I'm standing there, I watched, I saw, I'd seen thousands of live acts in, in the last like half decade. It, it, and so really what I did was I went from learning how to play music, uh, starting to write music, performing off the bat, nailing that, being good at that, knowing that situation, and then not writing anything else, and then watching other people do it. People who were trying to, not just people at a coffee shop in Salem. I mean, people who, legends, I saw Lady Gaga, like, three feet away from me. I've seen, you know, like, Billy Joel would stop in. I've seen so many, like, real people, but also people who, you know, they had agents in the crowd. Like, Aerosmith's band would come in after a practice. Like, people trying to make it and, and trying all, and it was not always good, but like seeing where they were failing, listening to the engineer talk about where they were failing, listening to the audience react to how they were succeeding or failing, watching the audience's reaction, just just soaking that in for so long. You, you know how they say you have to read a lot in order to write. It was pretty much, that was my research. And then when I played a hole in the wall in my neighborhood, just a random show. I started writing. It was more like angsty, kind of like what would have flown in the 90s, like Alanis Morissette type, poppy sort of. Because again, I just had a guitar. I didn't organize a band. I wouldn't know the and, person And that's your it. point of reference. That's the music you grew up on. That's the music like that influenced the stuff you then later like discovered on your own. Like That is that sound, like that 90s like angsty pop like rock yeah. sound. And so, and my dad... I know I said like Led Zeppelin, he was the one who introduced me to like Melissa Etheridge and Alanis Morissette and Sheryl Crow and like, like all the, like he was into that shit too. So don't even, you know, but, um, it wasn't, it's really about what resources are available to me. So once the A&R guy said, I hear honesty in some of these, but I don't in all of them, write something from your, like, don't just sit and write to do it. You know what I mean? And I still, to this day, oh, so much to him um, be, for, for, for doing that for me. And so I started writing more from the heart and more from the heart. And, you know, then you enter, enter in people who, oh, can you write me, you know, a song for this movie? Great. Like, let's see how I can do that. And, like, I nailed that. And, like, oh, can you write a song for this? Oh, it did that. And, like, next two weekends from now, I'm doing, like, a wedding song. I wrote a, a personalized wedding, like, song for a wedding. And it's, like, branching out it's like i am good at this and i know i'm good at this and so and what's that like kind of like discovering all, I, not necessarily just that you're good at it but all the different kind of like avenues you can take it because like i i feel like anything performative you get into it and it's like okay there's there's one thing i'm after and it's i'm going to be the number one chart topping songwriter of the year and it's like no it's nerve-wracking yeah it's really nerve-wracking especially for a person with like like add and like ocd and a need to organize things correctly it's like if I'm so good at all these things, just like I always was in school, it's like, well, what do I do? And they're going to ask you. There are a lot of people like trying to poach you, trying to direct your career. And when you really want to start taking music or any art like into a successful career, the first thing they're going to tell you is, okay, 
you need to be very specific about what you're going to do and you need to define your audience right now because I'm not here to make an album with someone who wants to do a rock song and a pop song and a jazz song, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't know who you're selling to, then you don't know what language to use. Which at first I was like, well, that's, I want everyone to laugh. But like, <laughs> no, but for real, yeah. like, you need to know what we language to use. Yeah. If I'm making children's song, I'm, songs, I'm not going to throw in the word coquettish in a, ch in a children's <laughs> song. You know what I mean? So like, that was probably the longest thing that, the, the longest part of the process. I knew I wanted to do pop music. I knew it because it has structure and I need structure in order to do anything correctly. There is, there is a finite amount of, there's a, a finite amount of time your song can go on for. There is a finite amount of, of combinations of, of, you know, verse one, verse two, chorus, bridge, chorus, you know, like there's, it's all of that. And there's also a finite kind of amount of instrumentation but I think that pop has always dipped into a bunch of different things. Like for a while, there was a lot of saxophone. There was that saxophone era. And then, you know, like... Then there's that synth era in right. the 80s. And then there's so the dance era of the 2000s. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect genre to be experimental and not have to focus in. But for someone who needs structure, it's the perfect thing to do. I, uh, I've, I've had some version of this conversation with every creative I think we've had on the show. And it's that I, it seems to be people who create best much to like the chagrin of any creative person. If you tell them this like flatly, because nobody wants to hear it, but like people create best when you take things away. Like when you know what the limitations are, when you know what the walls Absolutely. are, I can make anything out of these things. But if you tell me I have everything at my disposal, what am I supposed to make with that? that's one yep you know yes I mean? that's uh. exactly it that's exactly it and then um then I learned that if I was going to be honest I had to it had to I have to suffer for that <laughs> and, and I know that that sounds so dumb and cliche but it's mm. true like there's not a single song I write now that doesn't come from me suffering over something mm. um and so I think when that's so funny because a lot of music is so fun like it, it, lyrically, I, it can get dark want, at times, but it's like it's pretty fun musically. Because again, I'm not in this to be yeah. a writer. This mm. may be a therapy for me, and that's a benefit. That's not why I do it. I don't make music because I want to put out music. I don't want to be an artist to be an artist. Maybe that doesn't make me an artist. I'm more concerned about you. I'm more concerned about the listener. I'm more concerned about the audience. I am a performer. I'm an entertainer. I always have been. I always will be. That's the point. So whether or not I feel therapeutic screaming, ah, yeah, like, feeling, oh, like, I don't give a shit. If I see a therapist, okay, I'll take care of myself. You know what I mean? So I want to say what I'm going to say, and I'm going to do it in such a way that I want you to be happy to hear it. And I know that not everybody, like, you don't need all the time, but I'm not going to give you an album of 12 songs that's just me and a piano. That's so... I just don't want to do it. I And, and that's why I also... And to your point, not a lot of people are going to want to listen to it, right? Like, exactly. Who's, who's checking for that right now? It's not even really about, like, the, the money. It's like I want people to be entertained. So that's why, like, I can write a song about, like... Uh, like I have a song on my album now that's that's coming up and it's called Ted Bundy and it's written because it's written basically about how we're all we all need to grow up with our relationships we all get into these immature relationships that destroy us with the wrong friggin people <laughs> and we just need to like be mature and find either the right one or learn to be alone or else we're gonna like die 
You know what I mean? But it's not like some sappy violin, like, like it's, I've got drums. I got like some, like, um, like, like, uh, what are the tambourines? tambourines? Yeah. Yeah. And I also have like pop, like beats and bass <laughs> and like really cool harmonies. And it's like a really upbeat, like three minute song. Like you don't need, you know what I mean? But I also you had a, people yeah, no, I don't, I'm not like, I respect Fiona Apple, but I'm not here to depress you because life is depressing enough and that's another reason why i love pop music so i i wanted to focus the second half of this interview almost exclusively on kind of uh your identity as a pop musician and kind of where you where you arrived on that uh i guess i have a couple of questions here i asked to wrap up the, the first half of every interview mostly for my own curiosity and secondly because usually they get me a couple of good stories uh you're not a boring person so most of this interview has been pretty interesting <laughs> uh, I, I ask these mostly because some people are boring and it gives us some in, in, entertaining things to chop up but number one i am always curious what was your first vice uh, because obviously, like, at, uh, cool, you have this picturesque, like, perfect little life, uh, and then you have these crazy, like, I, you know, music club, you know, rock show kind of, like, adolescence and young adulthood. Uh, so, like, where along there did you pick up, like, your first vice or bad habit, and who was the person who introduced you to it? Honestly, like, if I really were to take the word vice literally, I'd say eating, like, gluttony. Like, and that, but you did grow up religious. I, yeah, but like, honestly, and I, I learned this recently in Krav Maga, which I know that like sparks a whole other thing, but like, I learned this recently and one of our, um, mottos is how you approach anything is how you approach everything. And I really just been living life thinking about that because it started with food, how I like, when I like something, I will run it into the ground. I will overdo it. I will do it all the time. So if something tastes good, there is no portion control. That is what I'm eating until I am sick. Slice of pie. No, we eat pie. <laughs> the whole pie. <laughs> like I will smoke to get a better bigger appetite to eat even more. That like that's and my I think my dad's side of the family, my dad is is a lot like that. So like my dad would, you know, it's the whole Lebanese thing, I think. So, and I don't want to sit here and like, my dad made me fat. Like, I, I made me fat because my dad also made me very vain. So, I'm, he's also the reason I can like. He's also the reason you joined Kramaga. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, starve myself for six months, you know, things like that. But yeah, eating would be a huge one. Uh, and this has been more entertaining to me to ask during this season uh, while I've been in, uh, interviewing creators. Uh, mostly because a lot of times the answer to this question might be them, but who is the most famous person who graduated from your high school or that you went to high school with? There is no one. I think I am like, <laughs> like I, I, sh I shit you not. I'm pretty sure I am. I, I grew up in a small town. I graduated with 150 people and Norwood's that small? Norton. Norton. I was born in Norwood, but okay. I grew up in Norton, okay. which for everyone that isn't from Southeast Massachusetts, it's if you know where the Comcast Center is, formerly Tweeter Center, formerly Great, Great Woods. Woods. Yeah, yeah, I think it's now the Xfinity Center. That's the stage I actually graduated on, if you want some <laughs> po poetry right there, because it's in Mansfield technically, but it's on the Norton Mansfield line, so it's off 495. Huh. But yeah, so I, I truly think i i might be all right uh, well <laughs> which i'm and i'm not bragging i'm just letting you know like nobody we are uh, we're gonna wrap up our first half here and we'll we'll come back with the second half of the interview with norton massachusetts most famous alumni uh, jackie <laughs> oh campbell we get so much shit for that <laughs> we'll be right back
I'm one of those people. We are back, and we're going to jump to the second half of the show here where we do our segment, I Am One of Those People. Uh, on this volume of Those People, we're talking with those creative people. Today, we're sitting down with Jackie Campbell, who is a pop musician. Uh, I guess it's probably the best way to, to quantify her level of creative peopleness. Uh, I guess I want to start off asking kind of like, what is a pop artist in your eyes? Because like we talked a little bit about why uh, you decided on pop and why kind of like that was the language you speak musically. Uh, but like, what in your eyes is a pop? artist and like why are you one or why are you trying to be one what's crazy about that question is again and this is so weird because thematically it's really just like my upbringing where it's so drastically different there are two completely different answers to it growing up when we were growing up pop music was about being entertaining and that was it someone else makes all the decisions for you and that's what I wanted for the for I just wanted someone else to tell me what to do because life always went off the rails when I was deciding because I don't want to make the wrong decision right so dress me up tell me where to be give me the song I don't even care I'll sing it whatever and I'll be entertaining and I'll make us all a bunch of money that's what I thought (laughs) that's what I thought being the like a great pop musician would be whatever But nowadays, the pop industry is completely different than it was even 10, five years ago. Now it's all very much like electronic, like beats, uh, reverb. uh, It's it's a lot more about less of what a person looks like Hmm. because no one cares anymore. We're streaming our music. You know what I mean? We get to choose. Yeah, it's not what the radio tells us to listen to because who even listens to the radio? You know what I'm saying? So it's like... Nobody, they listen to this podcast. Exactly. So it's all about, it's all about who's going to resonate and that's what matters. It has nothing to do with my choreography, how skinny my waist is, how young my face looks. What design you wore and what red carpet... Yeah, like it has to do essentially with my brand, which is, um, which encompasses my look, uh, kind of my feel, my vibe, the the sound, and again honing in on the audience and finding what that audience was, and that was probably the last thing that I did. It was once I got my, I invested in my computer. And once my Nana died, I was able to really write songs and I heard my EP and I heard the way it sounded. And I was like, this is what happens when you let other people kind of take the reins on your stuff. Not that it was bad, Mm. but it wasn't 100% me. And I was like, I'm going to do what Ben told me to do a long time ago and be 100% myself. Cause I think, and I've always thought this, at least for the last few years, pop music is what the man wants people to hear. And I am just the puppet for the man. But what if we change that script and we take the power that the audience gives us of notoriety, of influence, of having a voice and popularity and say what the hell we want to say? Fuck the man. And I think that is, uh, in my opinion, kind of the the most interesting shift in pop culture is exactly that. It's like pop stardom, I, I should note, by the way, like, Interesting that you described being a, a, a pop artist and the, the last thing on your list was music. It's, it's like look, vibe, feel, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, like music is yeah. the last piece of that puzzle now. Uh, but I think because of that, a big portion of it is like, okay, well, your, your music is secondary. I need to know you're you. 
You know yeah. what I mean? And previously saying like the 90s or 80s or any time before then, the music was how I got to know you. So the music was that much more important, right? Like we, you know, 50 Cent, I don't know how Gangster 50 Cent is or not because I don't have the internet yet. Or like <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I have right. the internet, but I have dial up, you know what I mean? And I, like I'm not following his Instagram story and like seeing him beat up people. So I need your music to put me there. But like now I don't really need that. I have your Instagram story. I see your fashion line that's coming out. I see, you know, I see the gig. And so now it's like, oh, like the music's kind of like a cool compliment to that. How do you, I guess, how do you feel about that as somebody who, like, obviously, like, you you clearly identify as a performer first before a musician. Yes. But obviously you, you know, seem to love and enjoy music more than other styles of performance. So, like, do you, is it is it all just part of the show to you? Or is there some part of you who's like, damn, I wish the music came first sometimes? I mean, if the music came first, I'd be a lot more successful because honest, honestly, everyone's always loved my music. But when they ask me who I am, that's really been the struggle. That's why I think it's taken me so long to initiate a, a career in this is because it was always unless you have an answer to the question who your audience is and exactly what your brand is, we can't help you. And it really wasn't until I made this album. This is like my child, like this album. It wasn't until I made it did I figure out who my audience was. And my audience is millennials. And the reason my audience is millennials is because we need somebody Hmm. to not only tell us it's going to be okay or, you know, not tell us it's going to be okay. We need somebody to popularize what's really happening. Because... I guess to borrow a millennial phrase, rather, like we need somebody to validate our feelings. Yes, 100%. I need to hear somebody who's more successful than me tell me they're feeling what I'm feeling too so that I know I'm not crazy. We're not alone. And and I feel like millennials always feel alone and that's why we're so powerless. But I feel like if we all felt that we were united in some way, we would actually probably be able to do more for ourselves. And and the album, it's, it's not... That and and I feel like music, I guess what I'm trying to say is my my audience is millennials, but the reality of it is what if I changed music in that? What if there was a wave of pop music where the sound was trendy and everyone got it stuck in their heads and everyone was dancing to it like all pop music, but what if the words and the, the talent and the things that they're hearing were finally not being dumbed down Mm. anymore? Like, I'm not going to say anything bad about Taylor Swift or whatever, but every single song I hear out of her is about, someone screwed me over, so, huh. Or, like, Ariana Grande, like, I was in love and now I'm not. Or, I wasn't in love, but now I am. Like, what if pop music, which has pretty much primarily always been about love, heartbreak, whatever, what if we talk about literally, like, what is happening? Well, uh, I I guess what what stuns me about that is that that is popular black music and always has been. Mm. And like this, uh, this idea that like, what if it's like, Oh, sure. Like what if white women finally did the same thing? <laughs> like, yeah, right. A lot of other <laughs> like, m- like musicians who have been trying to become popular just did. Well, uh, white women have to, or yeah. else most people wouldn't listen to it. No, no offense, but that's like what, and that's unfortunate, that's, but that is the market of pop music. That yes. is how it is. But I feel like if you have somebody come along and not speak, it's like speaking to a child. I don't speak to little kids like this. Like, I speak to them like they're people because they are. And I think that people will always maintain, there will always be a ceiling on how smart 
the majority of America is, as long as we let the people with all the money dictate how smart they're allowed to be. And as long as everyone is listening to the same drivel over and over, no one's going to feel empowered. No one's going to feel smarter. No one's going to feel inspired. And like, that's, I don't want to tell you to find a man. I want to tell you to find yourself. You know what I mean? But I don't want to make it cheesy. I don't want to be like the war, what is it good for person. (laughs) I'm not Megan Trainer. I'm not going to tell you that every size is lovable. Like I'm not out here with a PSA. This isn't a Johnson and Johnson commercial. Like I'm just being real and I'm humiliating myself so that you don't feel alone is, is essentially what it is. So yeah, so I found my voice and I found my style by listening to a lot of pop music that's all I listen to anymore it's I listen to up and coming I listen to old I listen to what's the most popular like the whole album like three or four times even if who I hate do, the who do you like in pop music now like as as somebody kind of finding your way in your niche like who are you looking at uh, somewhat contemporaneously and being like hey like okay like that that's something I'd like to emulate or I'd like to try or a path I'd like to try and like see myself in I think I mean I think it's it's different for I think like I think Katy Perry's the last of okay. the of the okay. man owning yeah. you. Yes. Okay. That she's the last surviving person yeah, that there, is successful a few doing in that. that camp kind of like trying to figure out what to do next as that goes away. Like her, she Miley, she can maintain like it. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Miley Cyrus is like that. I think Miley has been good enough to evolve with it all. No, I, um, I just mean, like, I, I think she is of that, that last ilk where she's like, oh, she had to go through a little... I, I think that whole generation of them, like, figured that out before Katy Perry did, but yeah. also, like, failed their way through finding out what the next step was. Like, Miley went way off the tracks, Brittany went way off. I think, all of them kind of, like, had this falling out period and yeah. then, like, re, like reemerged as an authentic person. Katy, Katy tried to be real with her last album and look and where no, that got... Like, she is a puppet and Perry. that's what she always will be, but she's the last one, you know what I mean? Let's be honest. Katy Perry will always be left shark and that's that's it for me. There are a lot of... I, <laughs> there are a lot of uh, pop stars I like... But if I'm going to talk about mainstream, whatever, I would say Lana Del Rey for mainly this. Lana Del Rey knows exactly who she is, what she likes, what she wants to talk about, who is listening to her music, and she panders and caters to exactly those things. She does not stray. She does not need to stray. That is, and, and as someone with... That's very... It's very hard for me to have structure as someone like that that's just bouncing off all the walls... It's so inspiring to be like, okay. Now, her audience, the reason I think she's not as famous as she could be is because she, her sound is, her vocal sound is very old-fashioned. Her music is very modern, and I love her production. But she's talking to an audience of people who live in a Fitzgerald novel. Like, she's talking to the, the 1%. Like, I do not know what it is like to just walk around in white robes on my yacht and, like, <laughs> pine over this man. Like, I, I have no clue what the fuck you're talking about. And that's why I like Lord so much. Yeah. I think Lord changed pop music. for Lord and, and Lady Gaga opened up a lot of doors for a whole new wave of pop. And I think that's how we've got, like, people like Billie Eilish coming into the scene. And it's like, I think my wave that I've been talking about for years is finally starting to happen because... The newer pop music I'm starting to like hear emerge is starting to exactly be what I've been talking about. People talking about real things, making references to things, talking about more than just being in love and blah, blah, blah. And it's coming. And that's why I'm so stressed out because I'm like, if this wave that I've been sitting on this ocean telling all these people is coming and they all brought their boogie boards out, if I miss it, I'm going to be. 
absolutely. I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna swim. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting to me. Down. Is like I. I feel like it's this. You, you mentioned all the kind of the pop stars who set the path for that generation, but I also look at a lot of those kind of like emo core bands that you were talking about earlier and their influence now on what is pop music. And I'd mentioned like these younger kids look at a band like, you know, even, you know, Fall Out Boy has obviously gone like very pop and they're still like playing out plenty and all that. But you look at the Fall Out Boys, the Taking Back Sundays, the Panic at the Discos, like these are the, the bands that all these kids look up to and idolize because there's no bands now anymore. Like there's only individual Rock artists. is pretty much dead. Uh, I, I agree. It's crazy. But what, what that, what's emerging out of that is everybody who grows up now wanting to be a pop star and a singer is like well we don't start bands anymore we just go start careers right but they're they look to what what were the successful bands of the past like who's who's still around of that era and you look at the Miley's and the Britney's and they all you know burnt out and flamed out and like had to recreate themselves and then they look at like these emo core bands that have just kind of like had steady solid careers and kept growing for like a 20 year period and like okay well maybe that'll work for me and you get you know the Black Bears the Khalid's like the Billy Eilish, I can't ever pronounce it. Billy Eilish. Thank you. Well, that's and, because like, that's because what's good is everlasting. Exactly. What's popular is fleeting. And, and so it's it's kind of like this evolution of like how do we repackage authenticity generation over generation? And I think it it's just now finally the generation that is going to package authenticity as popular. Uh, and I think like that's the it's it's weird because there was a sense of selling out for all time right like that was the worst thing you could be as an artist for my entire youth and life and everything but like the counterculture to that is what produced authenticity i'm not gonna sell out i'm gonna be myself and it seems like now we live in a generation and a time where you're allowed to sell out authentically like somebody will pay you a huge fucking bag just to be you and like that and like your friends won't hate you because that's because everyone we're sick of liars. We're sick of lies. We're sick of being lied to. So I think the two biggest things that define us as a generation are stop lying, <laughs> stop fucking telling lies, and also nostalgia. Everything that is popular. Now, like, think of all these TV show reboots. You know what I'm saying? So if you can give people a sense of nostalgia and also be telling them the truth, they will absolutely love you for it. And so I, I guess that's where I split a little bit. It's like, I don't, I'm, I think the nostalgia wave is maybe almost over. Like, I, I think we've, we've burnt out all the reboots and re-releases of albums that I, I can have for one lifetime. But I think what we got out of that nostalgia generation is a, is a re-centering of the things that, like, the counterculture of the 90s really sent. Essentially, all the people who, you know, weren't part of a clique or weren't part of a popular crowd or whatever of that 90s generation grew up and got jobs informing the popular culture, right? Like, everybody who's an editor at the New York Times or a writer at, you know, The Ringer or, like, wherever else in pop culture, like, setting the cultural norms, all of those people were the counterculture kids of the 90s. So now they've set the expectation that, like, you're supposed to be authentic, and now that we have the money and we have the control, we'll pay you. And I think that's what's really shifted is, like, it, you know, there's the nostalgia play for the things that were big and popular, the Nickelodeon, the Disney kind of things, but there's also, like, this nostalgia play for, hey, what if we, like, made it okay for this generation to be what we used to think is kind of cultural as mainstream you know what i mean and so now it's like a, a lot of things got cool all of a sudden like being nice to everybody is cool all of a sudden having lyrics that mean something is cool all of and, a sudden. and having lyrics that are specific right? and like like donating to causes yeah. like when i was like 16 <laughs> if you donated to the charity you were fucking lame wearing wearing hand-me-down clothes uh, right vintage like all of these things all of a sudden like came back around and like that is like the new the new path to success like that's the new wave right but that's the part that feels so weird it's like 
for all of eternity, like, I, we all did these things, right? Like, we all found out ways to make our own clothes and make our own voices and make our own music and feel authentic and feel human. Uh, and the whole point was just that, just to feel human. Nobody was trying to get paid. And now it's almost like, well, why wouldn't you try and get paid? And, like, I, we live in a capitalist society. I can't tell you not to get paid. That seems like a good move. But it feels almost, like, counterinstinctual to somebody who spent... 20 30 40 years of their life just being like it's about the experience man it's about being real it's about being authentic enjoy the journey and it's like okay yeah, well, well you pay my bills yeah exactly the, the, journey, the journey's right? a lot better in a private jet my nigga like i don't know what to tell you the journey is better <laughs> in retrospect when you're worse off later on yeah but yeah my quest in the music industry is just like any other millennials quest is like i grew up thinking this is how you get famous this is how you make music this is how you make pop music and then I'm, I'm in the middle of actually doing it, and then I'm told, oh, no, actually, it's completely different, and now you have to learn all these skills. Do it yourself or pay someone big bucks. Thanks. And it's like, cool. So I, I want to ask, you mentioned, like, you're, you're in the middle of doing all this and kind of learning it as, it as it's being thrown at you a million miles an hour. What was kind of like, what was the moment for, I guess, lack of a better term, that you were like, oh, no, I'm, like, doing this for real. Like, I'm not, like... I'm, I'm not some starry-eyed person who, like, moved to New York City chasing a dream and, like, you know, I, I got a real job, my bills are paying, like, cool, that's all, like, well and good. But when do you realize, like, oh, like, I, I am a musician now. Like, there, there are people who, like, have listened to my music or, like, I am feeling like a professional doing this more than, like, I'm trying to just, like, kind of make a hustle out of it. Some days I don't feel that way and then some <laughs> days I do. Like, last night I went to Providence and, like, Everyone knew me and they, like I had people fangirling like you don't really know me, but I listen to your music all the time. And like, like I've got that going, you know, and so like last night, like that's a high. For the record, if any of you want to stop me in the stream, be like, are you Mitch Gaines? I listen to that podcast. It's great. <laughs> Feel free. I will always respond positively to that. And what's, cr- <laughs> and what's crazy is like and, and what's even craziest as you go on is like I look back at my EP and like most people haven't heard my album. I've heard my album several times through my new one. And I wouldn't listen to my EP now. I'm like, oh, that's not even that good. And But people are still like, I love this. Like, it really, it, like, speaks to me. It really got me through this time. It really did. And I'm like, holy shit, like, well, I can't wait for you to hear the next thing. You know what I mean? And so, like, sometimes it's like... I, I feel that way and sometimes I don't like I have made money off of music like I have been commissioned to write songs for people so like in that sense it's cool but I don't know if this answers your question or not but like earlier this month I played a music festival and I played it was like a small private uh, music festival that um, Patrick Larney put on he's the head of Hope Tree Entertainment in um, based out of Nashville and he had heard my music and he went he asked me to play at this festival and he didn't want me to have a band he didn't want me to like dress a certain way. He didn't want me to fill the seats. It was the most just show up and we're gonna pay and you have a come, set. Like, it wasn't even it wasn't even we're gonna pay you. It was you don't have to pay like for your travel, but you're gonna do this because you're a new art artist and and like it's a great look for you. we want to show you know. And it wasn't don't talk a lot. It was talk a lot tell people who you are we want to know who you are so it was the first time I ever played a show where I didn't have to stress out about it I didn't have to fill the seats I didn't have to look a certain way like I just wanted to be myself and it was the first gig I'd played in years where I was by myself I didn't have any accompaniment and I didn't even really rehearse for it until maybe the week before and that stressed me out a lot because I knew that this was like a huge like if I bombed this that was oh like that was it you know what I mean But I showed up and for the first time in ever playing in the middle of the second verse of my first song or my second song that I was playing, this wave washed over me that's never washed over me before that said, you don't have to look at the 
music. You don't have to remember the words in your head. Just be you. Focus on how you're moving your head and what camera you're winking at <laughs> and like all the stuff. You don't have to concentrate on playing. You're going to nail every note, every, every single thing. And I did. I nailed everything. I've never sounded better than that. And when he introduced me and I was so good with the crowd and I'm so good about my songs and everything worked. It was the best show I ever played. And when he introduced me, he said, you know, my job is to literally listen to seven seconds of someone's hardest work and swipe left or right on them. And he's like, and I had like, what a wild and, life. and he's like, and it sucks because I know I'm crushing, but like, that's what it is. And he's like, I had 7,000 submissions. I heard like one song of Jackie's and I was like, send me send me everything she sent me her whole album and and i didn't listen to seven seconds he's like i listened to the whole thing because i wanted to and, and in I, fairness it's an ep it's only like seven songs no it's no it's i sent him my oh, album it's like 13 okay. songs oh. he listened to the whole fucking thing and and then he was like uh yeah i i wanted her to be here and then after i played he was like well if i didn't know then i know now and he's like it's that's great and i i walked out and my i had one friend there and her, uh, megan was there and we, we walked away. It was, like, on a campground, and I, I like, kind of just needed to be by myself for a little while because people, like, you know, they were talking to me. They asked me for the autographs and stuff like that. And then I was like, oh, why didn't I bring, like, any merch? Why didn't I bring my emailing list? Because I'm so bad at pre- – I'm so bad at the business aspect. I'm so bad at, like, thinking about how to get more fans other than just always being on my A game when I'm on stage. So it's like I walked away, and I thought to myself, like, I didn't realize until just now that I was never ready for this. But I know that I am now. Like, all, everything I'm telling you about, like, all those experiences of writing and rewriting or whatever, just performing or thinking I had it. Like, I've always been ready to be a performer. But I don't think I was ever ready to be a successful musician until, like, this album, I'm very positive. I, no one taught me how to play instruments. No one taught me how to produce a song. But being in recording studios and learning just a little bit about how to harmonize or how to layer, how do you pick up so much, so much shooting a music video for the first time when I did that professionally it's like it was insane and just like learning what it's like to be in charge be people's bosses be in charge of a team be the talent like have someone dress you like having a stylist for the few months that I could afford to have one taught me how to go clothes shopping people ask me now like how do you go clothes like how do you pick out such I never would have done that you know like what are you like shout out to O'Neal Yes. Oh, I love O'Neill. Oh my God, that man. And like even producing my music is like I listen to so much on my own and I'm okay to just experiment on my own and like test my like, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And for some reason, I'm just good at it. And as long as I'm always honest with what I'm feeling, like that's why my songs get written within like 20 minutes, because if I leave it, the feeling will change and it won't be a piece anymore. I, I found there's no matter what the medium is, if, if it's music, or if it's screenwriting, if it's poetry, if it's novelist, there's two types of writers. There are people who write everything in one in one sitting and then I send it to an editor and they don't ever want to look at it again mm-hmm. and like, oh, I'm good. Or there are people who write like one line at a time. I write 30 minutes Once a day. Once it's produced, I really, I really will not want to pick it up after it's produced. Yeah. After it's produced. But like, but like, you know, like I wrote a song about how uh, I, I always, I'm just like always losing my job. Like all of a sudden, like, it's just like sucks and it's called Never Mind, And it's just like a, you know, when I wrote this song, it's very sincere, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what this is missing? Like, I really want a good like song to drive to. So I made it sound like a song to drive to the music is no real good, but like it all fits well. And when I have something to really say to you, you'll hear it. Cause it'll be very simple 
simplistic sounding. So like everything just sort of fits and like I think I just sort of get it. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but some people get it. People need voices because sometimes theirs just aren't loud enough. And mine is super loud, <laughs> as you all, I'm sure, are experiencing. So I, if I don't use it, I feel like that selfish asshole. I feel like, you know, the Seinfeld for witnessing a crime and not doing anything. And so, like, I feel like performing is something I have to do. Like, I, I have to do it because... Music is the one thing everybody you can you you can meet someone that you hate on every single level. But if you both hear a song and you both can scream the same words at the same time, you hate them a little less. I I will tell you uh, about two weeks ago I was at a at a wedding. Uh, I was like a, a friend of mine had a, had a plus one to her wedding or whatever, so she she took me. Uh, but it was funny. I go to this wedding and the entire wedding is cops. You know what I mean? The, the groom's a cop. Oh, his friends are all cops. That's rough. Friends from the force. <laughs> friends from the academy. There's like two maybe three entire tables of police officers in this wedding very uncomfortable usually people i don't very much get along with i'll tell you what i don't care if you're a cop you're a robber you're somewhere in between dolly by don omar comes on you on the dance floor low comes on you on the dance floor yeah but usher comes on you on the dance floor like we're all friends tonight like we can have brunch in the morning you might arrest me tomorrow i don't know but like tonight we party uh and music is that great unifier it really is. And what, what, what better to be right now in, in, in something that's so divided than a unifier? I, I think it's the thing we probably most need as a culture, regardless if it comes from music, whether it comes from podcasts, whether it comes from politics, whether it comes from wherever you get it from. And it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's just, I just want people to have fun. It's like when people compare me to, it's all the comparisons I get. Like I get compared to Adele a lot. Oh, you could do that. I'm like, I don't want to be the thing that as soon as you're sad, you're triggered to listen to me. Like, that's not what it is. So I try and keep it as various as possible to accommodate everybody's need, which is why, like, the album, the concept is everything you wanted, is so everyone can have something. There's kind of like a country sort of pop song, a dance club sort of hit, a few, like, emotional ballads, one that's, like, more back to my spoken word roots, and, like, some that sound kind of like Lana Del Rey, and some that's, you know, like a band sort of, folky sort of thing so like and when is the will the full project be available I'd like a, a eventually okay. eventually it's 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 all in talks now but obviously it's all a collection and all exists and like if it takes long enough i may write something that replaces something that's on it but as of now it's like i mean it's pretty so realized it- it sounds like things are trending in the right direction for sure. You're performing a ton. You've got a, a great project on the way. You've got one in the bank that's like available for people to listen to. It's all kind of coming together, and you're kind of, let, to borrow your phrase, kind of at the crest of this wave uh, that you've been predicting hoping. for a while. I'm hoping Hopefully. to be. Uh, what's, uh, I guess I want to end here with, like, what has been sort of your favorite part of the journey of being a musician, of God. being a performer, of just, like, this being your life now like hey like I'm, I'm not just like some kid like gigging in a coffee shop like no like I, I do this I sign autographs I play festivals <laughs> you know what I mean? like, I'm not like a fucking hack yeah um when I'm performing like when I'm shooting the music video when I'm on the stage singing like that's always my those, favorite those part that's that's always my favorite part is performing that's all like it brings me back to when I was doing theater as a kid like when I'm on stage I'm not thinking and for someone who destroys herself a lot because of her thoughts it's so nice to like not be 
thinking. You know what I mean? So that's a big part of it. There's a really great feeling you get when you spend six hours producing an entire song and then you listen to it on big speakers for the first time and you go, oh my God. And then everyone hearing it back in the bigs. And then and then everyone around you's like, what the hell is this? And then you're like, yo, blast this this shit. And then everyone starts listening. They're like, this is gonna be on this. And and then you like, you're like, oh great, now I can kick back and like smoke a little bit and relax and my day's (laughs) over. Like I did something today. But then there's also like, like I said, like showing up in Providence and having someone come up and be like, even in a moment in Maryland, when I was down there, I went to go to a house party to perform and I accidentally showed up at a different house party, like by total accident, because I thought that's where I thought the person lived. And they're like, oh, well, you can perform for us. Like, (laughs) screw that guy's house party. You can come party with us. And I was like, well, you know, I I don't know. Like, and, and then some person came up to me and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Were you at karaoke last night, like down on this other <laughs> island? I was like, yeah. And they're like, I wasn't there, but I heard all about you. Hey, man, was this the girl that you said was at karaoke? And then I had like a swarm of kids coming up being like, oh, my God, are you the girl from karaoke? I'm like, guys, I literally sang Patsy Cline to a bunch of like townies. Like, are you serious? Like, but it's like that kind but of. That's like, the biggest thing in their town. You know, right? you all I want to do is make people happy. So when I just see the faces of people who just listen to something I just made or just watched something I just did, probably one of the most wonderful friggin' moments of my life was my cousins who I'm really not that close with my cousins. I'm not a family person. Like I said, I grew up without them. But, like, we were driving in the car, like, last summer, and one of them was like, oh, my God, put on Jackie's album. And I thought they just wanted to listen to, like, that song I did about my Nana. We listened to the whole thing, and they knew all the words, and they sang along to the whole thing. Like, it was an old Britney Spears album where you know all the words to it. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll start to sing along, too. And we were all just, and it unified us. Mm. And it was me. And I couldn't believe it. And, like, I didn't know that they knew... So now I feel like I'm doing something for people. I'm, I'm, there's a Nana song on my new album and it's new and they haven't heard it and I know they're going to ball their eyes out when they hear it. And it's like, I'm doing this. It's why it's called Everything You Wanted. I'm doing this for you guys. But as long as I know that it's making everyone happy. Chef's kiss. That's when I feel. Well, we, we started very wholesome. I think we, we can end here fairly wholesome. Uh, we're going to come back after spending a, a good hour and 20 minutes here, mostly talking about you. Um, we're going to talk about some other people, uh, which is always fun. <laughs> we're going to come back and do uh, my favorite segment of the podcast, America's Favorite Podcast segment. It's called Random People. All um, right. This so, part. I forgot about this part. And, and see? Somebody, finally, people are excited for this instead of scared by this. All right. We'll be <laughs> right back. We'll play some Random People with Jackie Campbell. As you all know, this is typically where we take a second ad break in the show and we pay a couple of bills. However, we've got a special little bit for you here if you decide to not skip through the ad break this week. As Jackie just got through mentioning during the interview here, she's got a new project on the way, and she was kind enough to share the new single, Love You More, with me a day early so I could play it for you all here on this pod. The song will be available on Spotify, Apple Music, and more tomorrow. So if you love it, be sure to stream it, and as always, go out and go tell a friend. And if you hate it, well, you know what to do. So without keeping you waiting much longer, here's Love You More by Jackie Campbell. Oh. 
podcast segment my favorite game my very favorite part of the show it is called random people just like the name may imply it involves a whole bunch of random people the point of this is that on this show we try to give a little slice little idea about a whole bunch of different identities uh both kind of within the the overarching identity that we're covering that season but also with each of the people that we have on the show and kind of explore what makes them them unfortunately we don't get to interview every single type of person on the entire planet uh maybe if i'm doing this long enough till i'm like 80 we'll, we'll eventually get around to it but until then we've come up with this segment called random people so we have a list of 100 different types of people here. Some are religions, some are races, some are uh, types of people and like occupations. Some are, are you know, uh, I guess relatives. Uh, some of them are celebrities and proper nouns. A whole bunch of different types of people. We refresh the list all the time. We randomize the list all the time. So if you're listening at home and you think you know what certain numbers are certain people, you're wrong and stop trying. Uh, <laughs> the way this works is our guest today, Jackie Camel, is going to pick three numbers, one through 100. I'm going to tell Jackie Camel which of the people that she has selected. She is going to tell me the first three things that pops into her head about these people. And then I am going to ask one follow-up question on each of those types of people. So, Jackie Camel, what are your three numbers? I'm going to do, I'll do my, she's always getting me so much luck with everything. So I'm going to do my Nana's birthday. I'm going to do 12, okay. 9, and... You know what year she was born in? <laughs> no, I no I do, but I always mix up the two dates. It was I think thirty three. 
33. Okay, wow. Good life. All right. Uh, thank you for keeping this in the top 30 because it's much easier for me to scroll a shorter list. Uh, <laughs> we will, we'll start with 33. Uh, we will put a theoretical 30 seconds on the clock. I used to put people on an actual buzzer so, here. I'm just saying. First three things that pop in your head about dun, 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 athletes. Any athlete? Any a- athletes in general. Athletes as people. Give me your first three thoughts on athletes. Oh, my God. Uh Stressful. Stressful. Okay. So stressful being an athlete. Um, Twenty seconds. Overrated, overrated. a little bit, and um, you know what? Respect. Respect. Okay, that's not bad. Okay, I, I can live with that. A little Colin Kaepernick shout out there at the end. I enjoy it. Um, For real athletes. Yeah. Oh, you like you respect? Oh, okay. Like real, real athletes, That's like good. people who are actually real athletes. But you can't also be like a rapist and a wife beater at the same time. So <laughs> maybe we'll shy away from talking about certain football leagues. But <laughs> I like that. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we will we will move up to number twelve. I guess going in order here. Uh, this should be easy enough. Give me your first three things that popped in your head about your mom. Or moms in general. I'll, I can do my mom because she's way different. It's just she's she's dramatic. Um, understanding. And she just really different. Different works. Yeah. <laughs> different works. That was, that was, a, that was a, a polite way to go about that. All right. The, no, I, I, but I mean it in a polite way. I really do. The, the last one uh, should be fairly easy, given how you spent the first 14 years of your life. Uh, give me the first three things that pop in your head about Christians. Delusional. Delusional, okay. Um, uh, ignorant. Okay. Um, but very po- like, hopeful. And the world needs hopeful people. I, I would tend to agree with you. All right. I, as I mentioned at the top, I get three follow-up questions here, one on each of you. So I guess I'll start with where we ended. Uh, the world needs a reason to be hopeful. Uh, should should they, should they pe- regular people be inspired or, I, I guess, should they derive hope from people who are delusional and ignorant? Here's, Is that here's like good a, advice? Here's what I mean by delusional. I really do want to clarify. I have no ill will that's, that's towards Christians. I really, really don't. But what I'm saying is I just think that it's a little insane to take something that you firmly believe in with zero proof, but firmly believe in. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying God isn't real. I believe in God, okay? Like, I, I really do. And so I hear you. But to use that, to blindly enforce the lifestyles of absolutely every other person on earth based on your belief is delusional. And thinking it will work and suit everyone is delusional. And I also think it's ignorant and delusional to have someone tell you all of these things really happened and you believe it so much that you look down on others who can't also accept it. That's, it's, that's kind of... So what kind of hope does that give you? 
I'm not saying Christians give me hope. Oh, I'm saying okay. Christians are hopeful. hopeful people. Okay, they 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 do want to see the best in others. They do want everyone to be okay. They want the hopeful outcome. They don't want people to get hurt. They don't. They want everyone to thrive and be happy and go to heaven and like that's and like that's great and that's they're hopeful people. But I find a lot of hopeful people are also delusional and ignorant. I, uh, I, I tend to co-sign, uh, not, not specifically about just Christians, but about hopeful people. Yeah, and this, but this is also for, for every religion. I just think that Christians get the, the weight of the negativity because they're, they're the most influential in American culture and in society. That's all. I, uh, I guess my follow-up question on your mom, like we talked a lot about your mom in this episode. We, we talked about her a lot at the top. Uh, we happen to hit on her here. Uh, and you, you mentioned she's just different, I guess. Your mom seems like she went through a lot to make sure that, like, you and your life, like, came out all right. And so, like, you mentioned you and your mom are on much better terms now. Obviously, it was a little rocky there in between. Uh, I guess, what do you, what do you, like, what are you hoping your relationship with your mother is, like, kind of moving forward? Like, in adulthood and further on down and, you know, in the later stages of her life. Like, what are you hoping to get out of your relationship with your mom? It's a more serious follow-up than I usually give people, but I don't usually get, you know, parents in, yeah. in the random people segment. Um... Honestly, like, I just, like, I really, this is going to sound so stupid because, like, I'm such a, a vengeful person, and my mom really dropped the ball in taking care of me when I really needed to be taken care of, but, like, I want to be able to take care of my mom. Like, but I don't want, like, to have her living with me in a one-bedroom apartment. What I'm saying is, like, I want to be Maybe. successful enough to, I don't want my mom to have to work anymore. I don't want my mom to be poor. I don't want... I want my mom to feel like the what she did do for me mattered. That like I she believes in me so much and like always has it. Oh my god, now I'm getting emotional, but like I I just want I know she's proud of me, but I want her belief in me to like come true. I want all the things that she tells other people for them to be like, oh my god, Danielle was right. Like, oh my god, that's Danielle's kid. And like I, I just want her to know that her years of absence didn't destroy me and her years of being present mattered. And I think that that's like huge for anyone, especially someone as cool and as different as she was. She never got to do the things that she wanted to do. And I really think that she wanted me to do them as every parent does with their kid, blah, blah, blah. But I don't want it to be a continuous cycle where, okay, don't worry, I'll have a kid and I'll improve on Like, no, I want the buck to stop here. Like, I want to be able to. Yeah. And that's really, like, really what I want. And I think that, like, that's. And I, I just wish that she'd be a little less dramatic. Like, <laughs> but I don't think I can help her do that. <laughs> In, uh, in honor of moms, in honor of dramatic moms and difficult moms and different moms, but ultimately still helpful moms. Uh, it is also my mother's birthday, so I'll give my mother a quick happy oh, birthday happy shout birthday. out. I will, uh, I will skip our third uh, follow-up question on athletes because it feels a little meaningless now after I've made I know. I, like, right after you asked me that, I'm like, oh, great. What am I going to say about athletes now? Like, <laughs> Don't worry. We'll skip that part. Uh, and I, I guess I'll skip right to the last question I usually ask everybody uh, about other people, which is who do you who do you hope hears this? Like, who do you want to hear? this episode well, who do you want to like get to know your story better like who do you uh, i mean your mom probably not i was about this. to say now i think i really cleaned it up for my mom uh <laughs> i really want <laughs> uh who do i really hope hears it i hope 
so many people hear it. You know who <laughs> really, too. you know who I really hope like listens to it is magazines do this or like maybe BuzzFeed does this or whatever. But like maybe like a couple years from now when I'm like stupid famous, someone will dig this up somewhere and be like, oh my god, this she is what she sounded like. She was on some no-name like. podcast like four years ago. And then some like asshole who's in jail now. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone will hear it, and 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 those people who already think they know me will go back and listen and go, oh my god, I want those people to hear it. Does that make any sense? No, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I I personally hope that your future fan base listens to this. I hope your current fan base listens to this. And I hope uh, some athletes, I guess, if they're out there listening, I hope they don't feel too disrespected by this. Uh, Christians especially, I, I hope definitely do uh, get a chance to check out not only this episode, but every episode of the podcast. We've had some some really insightful conversations about Christianity and about religion writ large uh, that I think are really important to, to anybody uh, who wants to kind of understand American culture and the impact Christianity has on it. Uh, but really, regardless who you are, if you're out there listening, I know everybody listens to those people's podcasts because it is the best podcast in the universe. Please be sure to go check out Jackie Camel after this. Where, where on the internet can they find you, Jackie? JackieCamel.com. Jackie spelled the right way. C-K-I-E. And Camel, but with a K, like Camel Reds. JackieCamel.com. I'm on Spotify. Only on real iTunes. smokers get that joke. I hope you realize that. I like, know. Other people are like, oh, Camel Blues are with a C. Aren't all Camel cigarettes with a C? No, Camel <laughs> Reds are with a K, and only a real smoker knows that. Yeah, like if you're like, like if you don't care about what other people think about you, you don't smoke Paul Malls. You smoke Camel Reds. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh... So Jack, JackieCamel.com, Jackie spelled the right way, Camel with a K. Yeah. Uh, where are you on social media? At Jackie Camel or somewhere else? Uh, yeah, Jackie Camel uh, Music on Facebook, Jackie Camel, underscore Jackie Camel on Instagram. Um, and if you want to join my emailing list, like shoot me an email. My It's JackieCamelMusic at gmail.com or just like go on my website or like I really need, evidently I really need like email following so like if you like what you hear or you just like want to support me because woohoo we all need to support each other mm. before all the people who are already supported so all right well yeah. fellow millennials if you're out there go sign up uh, at jackiecamel.com if you're looking for jackie camel for some reason can't find her just check out mitchgames.com we have all the guests that we have on the show available on there everything links back to where they need to be found uh thanks again for doing this man this was thanks awesome. for having me i'm so glad i could do it uh, I, i'm so glad you were able to make it up here uh, thanks again to everybody out there listening and supporting the show. Uh, until next time, I guess, I am Mitch Gaines. This was Jackie Camel, and we are all those people. You don't have to want it so bad. You could just put it back. Don't have to be me. Thank you for checking out this episode of Those People, a podcast with people about people. Really hope you tune in for the rest of this season, including going back and checking out some of our episodes from Volume 1 of this season, focusing on political people, and in particular Democrats who are running for Congress. 
Got a few quick housekeeping notes here for you. If you listened to this episode and you really enjoyed it, please, please, please rate and review the show wherever it is that you listen. really helps other people find the show, and that's pretty essential to us being able to do a second season. Uh, if you happen to be an Apple or a Podchaser user, those places in particular really help drive our listenership. So if you could, definitely leave us a rating or a review there. If you really love the episode or you just want to support the show in general, there are a number of ways that you can do just that now. You can head on over to anchor.com slash those people slash support to make a recurring monthly donation to help keep our little show going. You can also log on to mitchgains.com slash store where you can buy one of our creative people t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, or anything else that you happen to find in the store that catches your eye. And even if you hated the episode, you might want to take a look there because we have some pretty cool shit. Also, if you just want to buy me a drink or something next time I'm in your shitty, that's cool with me too. If you have feedback for the show, I'm also all ears. My Twitter DMs are always open, and you can also email me at mitchgaines at gmail.com. If you prefer speaking to writing, obviously I do, that's why I have a podcast, you can leave us a voice message at the link in the show notes here. Your feedback, your questions, and your opinions may be used in a future episode, just be note of that. Special thanks to East Boston Public Library for allowing us to record several of these episodes there on location, including our interviews here with Anjan, Jackie, and a bunch more in this particular volume. Also, want to give a thank you to Amy Bazoon Artea as well as the Justice Boys for our outro and our intro music, respectively. Both of those songs are fittingly titled Those People, and we'll post them links in the show notes if you want to find out where to find them. Lastly, most specially, a thank you to our executive producer, Kayla Shetland, without whom, as I always say, and I mean this quite literally each and every time, none of this would be possible. And also a final thank you to those people out there who've supported this project from its earliest days, including some of our previous guests like Brianna Wu and Ken Mejia Beal, and friends of the show, including Irvin Bailey, Crystal Roloff, Shelbo the God, and countless others that I'm missing. I'm Mitch Gaines, and I appreciate you, whoever you are out there, for listening to this episode of Those People, a podcast with people about people. See you next week.